0: Well, like Meg just mentioned, we are in a brand new series, which I'm super excited about, and hopefully there's some people here this morning, maybe church is even new to you. You're like, this is the year. This is the year we're going to try church. We're going to check out Jesus. We're going to try this whole thing. Man, if that's you, this is a perfect series for you, a perfect study for you, as we're going to go through the gospel of John together. What an incredible book this is. And so, if you have your Bibles, this is going to be definitely one of those series you're going to want to have it out in front of you, uh, this morning especially, because we've got a lot to cover. Uh, chapter 1 is super rich, and we've got a lot to go through, and we're going to be referring back to. We'll read it. It'll be on the screen um, at least the first time around, but then as I refer back, you're going to want to probably look at it in your Bibles. And so have those ready, if you don't mind. You can pull out your phones as well, your um, iPads, whatever it is you got, um, and have those ready as we dig into this new study together. I always want to give a little background whenever we're starting a brand new book. So we kind of, not all of us, some of us have been in church a long time. Some of us are brand new to Christianity. And so you need to know a, s- a certain amount of just kind of ground level things uh, about God's word, about certain books of the Bible. And so I always try to start there a little bit, give us a little bit of background. Um, first of all, this in the New Testament, when it starts out you've got what are called the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if you've heard maybe that terminology, you might not really know what that exactly means. The reason it's called the, the Gospels is because the word Gospel actually means good news. And so those four books um, are writing about and telling us about the good news about Jesus Christ. And so we get to we get to dig into these Gospels. Um, if you've not done it already, I would suggest you read all four of them back to back to back. It's great because what happens is you get four different viewpoints, and it's, it's beautiful, four different viewpoints, four different angles um, of the same story of, of the birth, uh, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know about Jesus, this is where you turn. You, this is where you want to read and study uh, the best you possibly can. John's Gospel uh, is one of my favorites for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is it's very unique. He has uh, some viewpoints that aren't found in any of the other Gospels. Uh, He was an eyewitness to all of these events. He's one of Jesus' favorite and closest disciples. And so if you're going to learn from somebody, I always say, this is the guy I want to go to. You know, a lot of people today, you know, you listen to people and and talk with people in the world today that um, know a lot of stuff. But if I really want to know about Jesus, I want to go to someone who walked with him, talked with him, was with him, knew him personally. And so when you read the Gospel of John, that's what we're getting. And, and it's, so it's a beautiful, beautiful book. John was also, uh, in case you didn't know this, he, he was the oldest and the last surviving eyewitness uh, of Jesus. He's also the same guy that will end up writing Revelation. So if you've read that book, um, he, he writes that by the inspiration of the Lord. Uh, and then he also writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So this is a very important person within uh, our religion, within our study of, of who Jesus is and, and the Gospels, and of course all the way through um, the Word of God. And so John is, is uh, very well known for lots of different things. A couple things that set the Gospel of John apart from the others, uh, just some practical things. First of all, there, there are only eight miracles that John uh, records of Jesus' miracles, but six of them are unique to his Gospel, which just makes it really cool, because it's like you're not going to read about these other six in the other Gospels, you're going to only read them here in, in John, so we get to, to, to see that, the six out of the eight. And then secondly, John's emphasis, by the way, each Gospel writer has kind of their own angle, their own reason, their own... Um, uh, purpose for why they're writing. And so John's purpose, his emphasis, is very, very clear. And it is to make known the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. He said he's, that's what he set out to prove. Matter of fact, he, we'll get to it. It'll be several months from now. But when we get to John chapter 20, um, this is actually what he says. He just reveals like what he's doing. John chapter 20, verse 31 says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John doesn't hide anything. He just says, listen, this is my goal, and it's to prove to my readers, those that are reading this, that that are going to be studying this, that Jesus is the Messiah. And that by believing that, by believing he is the Messiah, that's how you're going to be saved. You're saved through Christ alone. Now, We're also going to see this morning, like I've already said, that this is super rich in doctrine. This is the book that you point people towards that are new to Christianity. You know, they they just recently gave their life to to Jesus. And so you're like, if anyone ever asks you, where should I start? I don't know anything about you. Point them to the book of John. Because there's so much doctrine, there's all kinds of little sayings about the book of John. A lot of people will talk about how it's super, super shallow enough to where people can really understand, but it's also so deep. It can go as deep as you want to go. So it really has these two different sides to it. So it's good for anyone to read, but especially a new believer, to teach them the correct doctrine Uh, especially about Jesus from the beginning, because you have to know who Jesus is and who Jesus isn't if you're going to follow him. This is a problem that so many people run into. They don't really know Jesus. They know about Jesus. They hear things from other people about Jesus, and then they start trying to live their life, and they get way off course because their view of Jesus is wrong. They don't really know who Jesus is. They've never really studied it for themselves. And so As we're about to see, John is going to do this incredible job describing for us in these first 18 verses we're going to read up front. um, He's going to do this incredible job of just showing us who Jesus is. And then what we're going to do is we're going to kind of work backward and we're going to to go and pull out... some different characteristics of what John is saying. This is who Jesus is. Like there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is who he is, and he, he lays it out for us. Um, and who are you going to go to? You're not going to go to anybody today that's going to know it any better than John did. Um, and so this is a great source for us to draw from this morning. So lots of scripture to cover, lots to get done here. So we're going to be moving kind of quickly. If you have to go back and rewatch it, go for it. Um, I'll do my best, but I also want us to get uh, through this in a timely manner this morning, Um, but it is a very rich uh, first chapter uh, of this gospel. So, first 18 verses, here we go. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, I don't want to confuse you there. It's not that John wrote this. What he's referring to here is John the Baptist. So as we move forward here, this is John the Baptist that we're talking about. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because He was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So here we have John writing to in the first century, which is important to understand because first century language is going to be the Greek language. Um, And now he's going to use a word in Greek here, in the Greek language that is in the first verse multiple times. And in this word is so important because it's going to communicate a lot of information about Jesus. This is why it's so important. I tell you, not just read the Bible, just face value. Okay. Yeah, I read it. But to have a commentary have something else alongside with you that can help you define. Most of us, I would say in this room, maybe there's some of you, but most of us in this room are probably not fluent in Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew. And so when you are reading things in scripture and you come across certain moments or words or things, it's so powerful to be able to have something there that can help you define some of these words and understand exactly what's being communicated. And so because John says, in the beginning was the word, in Greek, that, the actual the word was there, uh, it, it's in the form that means to be. So what he's actually saying, he's me- meaning this is a continuous action, right? So it literally means in the beginning the word was and is and always has been. So much more is being communicated there than what the English language can communicate. And the Greek word here which is maybe even more important for us to understand for the word word W O R D is the word logos logos and he is going to use this word logos a few times in this verse here in when he says it he says in the beginning was the word logos is what he means there and the word logos was with god and the word logos was god and so Even as I studied this passage just last week, I learned for myself just more and more about this word logos. History tells us that this word first appeared by a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. And so the way that he was using it, 600 BC, so we're going way back, right? Was He said, this is kind of how he was defining it, to designate the divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. It seems like he didn't really know what to call that. What to call something that is a divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. And so he uses this word logos. Plato comes along, another Greek philosopher. He's trying to explain this meaning of logos in 400 BC, still a long time ago. And he uses it to mean behind everything is a thought. Then comes Philo, who's a Jewish philosopher, born in 25 B.C., so he's during the time of Christ, right? He took what Plato said, and he takes it a step further, and he says, behind every thought is a thinker. Now, what they're trying to express is logos. Now, we might refer to it uh, today as intelligent design, right? Or uh, when we look around, and and we've probably said, you may have said this to other people, that you're trying to... um, when to Christ, you, you know, how can you see all these things and see so much order and see so much beautiful design, so many things in the world, how can you see all this and think that there's nothing behind that, that there's, there's no designer, there's nothing that is perfect behind, there's no God, how can you say that? And so what they're trying to do is express that in a way and this word logos is what they're, they're using. Now why do we care about what these Greek philosophers think? Because John is using a term here that was relevant in his day to communicate who Jesus is to the people of his day. So in order for us to truly understand what John is saying here, we have to step back into the first century and we have to see the depth of the meaning of this word. What John is saying, John comes along and essentially says this. For centuries, you guys have been talking about the great intelligence and reason of the universe and I'm about to tell you who it is. This is how big it is. Not what it is, John's saying, I'm about to tell you who it is and he capitalizes the word logos. In our Bibles, of course, it's the word word. That's why in your Bibles, the word there is capital W, because it's a person. This is what John's trying to communicate. In the beginning was the word, capital W, logos. And the word, capital W, was with God. And the word, capital W, was God. John is actually teaching his first century readers in the course of us several things about Jesus in these first 18 verses. And he's not going to even call him Jesus. He's not even going to refer to him as Jesus all the way until verse 17. And so we're going to have to work, you have to kind of work backward here. You get to verse 17, you're like, oh, if you've never read this before, oh, Jesus is who he's talking about. So now I go back and I reread this, and now it makes complete sense to me, or at least I understand it completely uh, differently now. So the first thing, we're going to go through and pull some of these out. The first thing that John teaches us about Jesus here, which is super important, is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, Jesus is God, but he's also different. He is with God, and he is God. God is one God in three persons. It's called the Trinity. We do not have time this morning to dig deep into the Trinity. It's very hard to understand anyway for all of us, but God reveals himself in three persons, but he is a singular God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we speak of Jesus, we are speaking of the second part of the Trinity. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says it like this, "As the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus is the divine expression of of God. Now, this is important because there are religions out there. There are lots of things out there that will communicate something different. And they'll say, ah, oh, Jesus is a God. And there are religions that even will have changed. And they don't use the Bible. They've kind of come up with their own little manuscripts. And they, they will change this and make it say, and was a God. They add A in there because they've got to do that to be able to make their religion work. What was originally communicated is, no, it's not, he's not a God. He is God. So, very important that you understand that. Then John tells us here the second thing is that Jesus is creator. It says through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that was that has been made. I'm amazed at how many people don't know this about Jesus. Jesus was the one as part of the godhead who had the privilege of creating the universe. Jesus has always existed. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says it like this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And some translations say by him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is not only God, he's also creator. Then the... Verse four, we learned the third one, which is that Jesus is life. Verse four says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. This, is, again, is very helpful when we go to the Greek word, because this is going to explain a few things to us without going there that we wouldn't really understand, because the Greek word here for, for life is that he's using is, is zoe. And so the, what I love about the, the Greek language is they have, many times, they have multiple words um, to describe what we in English only have one word for and this is one of those places because actually there's two greek words for the word life there's bios and zoe but they mean different things. This, again, this is a great thing about the Greek language because it's just, English is so limited. Probably the most famous one you know is, you've heard it for love before, right? And that there's, In the Greek, there's four different words for the word love. We only have love. And so sometimes we have trouble describing what, kind of, what we mean when we say we love somebody or we love this thing. Like, what is the exact depth of that? What do you mean by that? Well, the Greek language has four different words to make sure you know exactly what they mean when they're using that that term love. So when we get here, that's what's beautiful about this Greek language is it's very descriptive. So we say, okay, we got two words uh, for the word life, bios, meaning biology, right? The study of life, which means it has a beginning and it has an end. Zoe speaks of something much bigger, deeper uh, than biological life. Zoe refers to something eternal. And it's, the, and it's the word Zoe, by the way, that is most often referred to in the New Testament when it refers to our relationship with Jesus. That in him, we have life. Zoe, we have eternal life. This is not life, small amount of time. This is forever. So what Jesus offers us is more than bios, more than breath, more than just physical existence. He offers us life, something that lasts forever that transcends our time here on earth. So he uses the word Zoe here because he wants us to realize that Jesus, in Jesus, that we have life. And also that without him, the opposite is that we are dead. And not only dead, but he talks about next here, we're in darkness. We are in darkness. That's why John describes Jesus next as light. That's the fourth one. Jesus is light. John describes it many different ways in verses four through nine, but I'll read it to you again. I want you to listen for this word light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Again, this is John the Baptist there. He, was, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all, must, or all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And as we go through this gospel over the next several months, We're going to see time after time Jesus referring to himself as the light. And John wants us to know that Jesus came to overcome the darkness. And so he is the light. The fifth one is Jesus is Savior. Super important. He wants us to understand this obviously as well. And we see this in verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So John is talking about salvation here. He wants us to know that it's not something that we can do as humans. It is a spiritual birth that happens. You and I can't make this happen. This is a spiritual, supernatural thing that happens. When God saves us, it's a supernatural thing, not something we can do. And it is only through believing Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that he died for our sins and he rose again. It's only through that that we are saved, that Jesus is our savior. He wants us to know that. Then the sixth thing he mentions is that Jesus is human. And this is one that it's hard for us a lot of times to wrap our minds around. Um, But verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. When we think about this, God took on skin. He came to live among us. That should blow our minds a little bit. Like, what? God did that? And the reason it should is because, and this is a side note, this is extra credit for all you guys, if you don't know this already, that every other world religion, you are constantly having to try to be good enough to get to their God. You're, you're, you're constantly working and doing things and trying to be good enough, trying to, <coughs> trying to serve enough, trying to, to do enough good things so you can somehow get to your God or your God's You're earning it the whole time. Christianity is the only one where God comes to us. God says, no, you can't do it on your own. And I know that you're never going to be good enough. So he comes to us and he lays down his life for us. That's what John is saying here. The word became flesh. We just celebrated it right at Christmas. It's like he came into our world. This would be a big deal. This is bigger than anything else. God's coming to us to save us. It's on a rescue mission. John says, you've got to understand Jesus is Savior. He became flesh. And we're going to get to see Jesus' humanity all through this gospel. We're going to get to see it time and time again. We're going to get to see that he gets hungry and he gets tired and he sleeps and He's fully man and fully God. And then John says this second, in the second part of verse 14. He says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the seventh one is that Jesus is the one and only. John is saying there is only one Jesus. He is from God. He is God and there is no other. He wants to make this very clear. There's no other There could never be another, there could never be another Messiah, the one that would come and die in our place. So he's trying to make sure they understand this didn't happen, oh, it's going to happen again, there's going to be someone else that comes in the future. No, this is it. And we're going to see John use this terminology. If you've read the book of John, um, you already know this, you'll you'll maybe even think of some of these verses in your mind already, but you're going to see it show up that he uses this, this terminology a lot, that Jesus is the one and only Son of God. He communicates this over and over again. Jesus is co-equal with God. He is full of grace and truth. And John mentions that both in verse 14 and 17. When he says, for, in 17, he says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So don't miss that. This is super important. I know we're going quick today, but there's so much here. And I don't want you to miss even that. It's something we should be so grateful for and thankful for is that Jesus didn't come just full of truth, and Jesus didn't come just full of grace. And the reason that's important is because if you have grace and no truth, you're going to have chaos. And if you have all truth without grace, us as sinners, we have no hope. But when you have truth with grace, you have the beautiful balance of who Jesus is. So John puts a name to Logos. Finally, here in verse 17, he says, I'm going to tell you who it is. It's Jesus Christ. It's beautiful as you work through these, just these first 18 verses. We're going to keep reading so we can make sure we get through this today. Verse 19, let's start there. He says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Again, this is John the Baptist. <clears throat> They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water john John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing so now John the Baptist was the one if you don 't know this, he was the one that was to come and prepare the way for Jesus. that was his job that was that was his mission in life and if you read through scripture you 'll know that as far as the human side of Jesus goes. He's about six months older than Jesus. He's, he's the cousin of Jesus. And Jesus has not yet been revealed, as far as his public ministry goes, at this point. And so this is the moment that John the Baptist is going to point out who Jesus is. This is what he's been, his whole life has been Four, is to prepare the way to then announce this is the Messiah. And so this moment is coming in verse 29. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now it's important to understand John's baptism. Okay? Jesus has not even been introduced to the world yet, let alone died for the sins of the world and and been resurrected, right? And so if you think about that, you think well then well, when we baptize today, we identify with the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? His death, burial and resurrection. So why was John baptizing people if none of that has even happened yet? This seems kind of weird. Why would John be doing that? It's because John's baptism was a baptism of recognizing the need and looking forward to the Messiah. Just like now, we baptize looking back to the cross, right? That's what we're doing. We're looking back to the cross, the burial and resurrection of Jesus, publicly confessing our belief and relationship with Jesus. In John's day, what he was doing, they were coming forward, they were confessing sin, and they were expressing their need, looking forward to the Messiah. So they were just on the other side of the cross, from us and John was showing them this is this is what is coming and what you're going you, the Messiah is coming the one's going to save you and so as John sees Jesus coming in verse 29 he says look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world incredible moment in time let's continue verse 32 then John gave this testimony I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that is God's chosen one. So John testifies here by divine revelation that Jesus, who has just walked up on this crowd, is the Messiah. He's like, listen, God told me, that This is exactly who it is, and I'm telling you who it is, Jesus. This man you see right here before, this is the Messiah. Let's continue. Verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus, took, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is peter. So we see that some of John the Baptist's disciples which back then you would have a rabbi you would have somebody that you would you would be with that would disciple you you would learn from them and and so John had his own disciples. But once John says I'm going to tell you something this is the Messiah you kind of go John, we love you, but we'd rather be with the Messiah. We're going here, right? And so they see Jesus and they're like, let's follow Jesus. This is the Messiah, let's go. And so they begin, this is the beginning of the disciples becoming um, Jesus' followers. And so then Andrew goes and gets his brother Simon. He brings him to Jesus. And Jesus literally calls him by name. Now, Simon's never met him before. And this would kind of freaky out a little bit. Like, I don't even know who you are. And you're calling me by name. Not only that, but the first day Jesus, you meet Jesus, he's like, and by the way, I'm changing your name. I'm just gonna let you know that. <laughs> kind of, oh great, so you know my name. I don't know how you know my name, and now you're changing my name into something else. And like this is a prophetic thing, which it was. I'm sure this was a crazy moment um, for Simon, who obviously becomes Peter, and so he changes his name. Um, Simon meant to hear, and now he changes it to Peter, which means rock. So Jesus sees this quality and this character in Peter that is strong, and so he changes his name to something that means rock. And so we're going to see why that is and how that flushes out uh, as we continue on in this, this gospel. We're going to continue. Verse 43 says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked here to Genesis, actually, 28, uh, it's a dream that Jacob had, and he's, he's saying to Nathaniel, essentially, <laughs> wow, you ain't seen nothing yet, dude, really, I mean, I, I know you're, you're already convinced, um, because I'm kinda, I knew who you were, I knew your name, and then, you know, not only that, I knew that there was no deceit in you, like, I knew you were a good person, and you're kind of like, how does he know that, and, oh, and what, you knew I was over there under a fig tree, oh, yeah, it didn't take a whole lot for Nathaniel, he's like, he's good to go, Jesus is like, If that's all you need, that's great. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to see some stuff that's so much greater than that. And so this dream that Jacob had in in Genesis 28, what he does is he sees this stairway to heaven. And on which angels are ascending and descending. And the point here is that this connection from heaven to earth, the stairway is Jesus Christ himself. The one that closes the gap, the bridge between God and man is Jesus. So Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, just wait. Literally, you haven't seen anything yet. You are going to have a front row seat to the things that will show that I am the Messiah. You are going to have a front row seat to me showing that I am the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway, the bridge between heaven and earth. So Jesus is setting all this up. Well, John is the one writing it, but at this moment, it's like, here we go. We are about to see that this is the cool part. and One of the coolest parts are that we, we, as we go through this gospel together over the next several months, we also are going to get to see this as well. We're going to get to study this together. We're going to get the opportunity to see time and time again Jesus show up and do things that we're going to be blown away by. My goal, my hope, my prayer as we go through this gospel together is that it is going to change us. That it is going to convict us that it's going to challenge us in ways that maybe we've never been challenged before. That we, as we read the very words of Jesus, as you go through this gospel, we're going to read the very words of Jesus. We're going to hear from a man named John who walked with Jesus. He's going to explain it to us. And then we're going to have to figure out how do I apply this to my life? Because if he is all these things, these seven things even, and so much more, if I believe that's who he is, then there's some things that I need to do as his follower. And maybe you've never placed your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ from the beginning. Maybe you've never declared him as God, as your Savior. That's the hope. We already read it, right, in, in chapter 20. That's, that's why John is writing this. His goal was that people would read this and go, just like Nathaniel. I believe. I believe, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. That is my hope and prayer as we study this, this scripture together, as we study this book together is that we're just going to be blown away at the power, the grace, the love of Jesus. And it is going to then get into our hearts and our, our minds, into our being. And we're going to say, I just want to be more like that. And not only that, that we're going to be encouraged. Because here's the thing. And we, this is this is how we're going to segue even into our, our celebratory time. Is this. We've been saying this from the beginning. That when Jesus gets involved, when Jesus, who we just read about, when he gets involved, it changes things. All of a sudden, we go from just doing the natural things and only being able to do the things in the, in, in, as human beings in the natural world, we now get to enter into what is called the supernatural. We now get to be a part of things that can only happen when Jesus gets involved. But that's the cool part is he invites us into this. And he says, listen, if you'll trust me, if you'll trust me, if you, and we, we're gonna read these stories, we're gonna read these miracles, you'll see time and time again, when people put things in the hands of Jesus, miracles happen. When we try to do things on our own, miracles don't happen, we fail. We've been challenging each other over the last several months. We've said, listen, we wanna sacrifice. We believe that part of our goal, and we're gonna read about it here in this, this gospel as well, is to spread the gospel message to go tell people about who Jesus is, to do what John's doing here, but to do it with our voices and and go into our community. He's placed us here for a reason. We are in this church together for a reason. You're not sitting beside the people you're sitting beside going to church with the people you're going to church with by accident. This is orchestrated by God. God's brought us all together. God's given us all jobs and given us all money for a reason. And he's trusting us to use those things for his glory. And so we've been praying and seeking God on this for months now and saying, God, show us show us what we can give, what we can sacrifice, what we can do so we can be a part of the generation that reaches the lost in our community. We are out of room with our children's area and our youth areas. God, you are blessing us. We don't want to sit back and and be afraid. We want to step out into the unknown, into the supernatural and say, God, show up. We know we can't do this unless you show up. And we're trying to build this building not so we can flex on the rest of the the, the whole community that we live in, but so we can say, listen, we believe in the, the next generation, and we're going to provide a place for them where they can easily sit down and learn about the gospel message, because right now they can't do it. And we're going to provide a place where the youth can continue to grow and they can sit in small groups and talk about the struggles of life that they're going through. That they're so hard as we, all of us who have gone through those years know it's so important to have those moments, those years with people that can love you and teach you and help you. We want to provide those things. But none of that can happen. There is no way that happens. And the amount of money that we talked about, $2.2 million, none of that happens unless Jesus gets involved. We can't do it on our own. And so that's what we have been challenging each other with. And so we did. We've come and we've given. And we've totaled all those things up. And we're going to share with you where we land. Where that is to this moment. And then we're going to celebrate. But before we do.